0: Have your Bible open to the book of James, the book of James in the New Testament. I made a promise a week ago today, and I'm ready to fulfill that promise. I said last week that today I would preach on the subject, how to talk to your atheist friends. I'm assuming two things that I believe are generally true, though there may be exceptions. One, we know people who do not believe in God, in His existence. And two, we would love to bring them to faith in Christ. How do we do that? How do we approach them? What guidelines are given in Scripture we can apply? I believe, and I'm going to show you from Scripture... I believe the Bible equips us for the task of reaching people. Wherever those people are in their lives, whether sinners who believe in God or sinners who are dogmatic atheists or anywhere in between. So during our time this morning, it will be our purpose to use Scripture... To guide us into valuable conversations, valuable conversations with people who deny there is a God. Now, results cannot be guaranteed. For example, you cannot talk to people who refuse to listen. We all understand that after hearing the gospel... There are many who make their own decision to not be obedient to Christ. And this expresses what we sometimes call free will or free moral agency. The individual capacity to choose kicks in. But God expects us to apply effort. He expects effort on our part. And our task this morning is to be informed from Scripture about that effort, specifically effort that we apply to talk to our atheist friends about God, hoping to bring them to faith in Christ. And for this study, I'm going to use the book of James to give us seven things we need to know before... Talking to our atheist friends. Seven things you need to know before talking to an atheist. Number one, pray for wisdom. James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. As Christians, we have a number of assigned duties, and as we engage in these duties, we often have some questions that come up about how we engage in these duties, things God expects us to deal with, and we know that we're going to deal with those things But how do we do that? How is the best way we can apply what we need to apply from God's Word? And so, what we do is we ask God. We approach God in prayer asking for wisdom in the discharge of duty that we know we are committed to. And sometimes that involves timing, words, tone how we present ourselves, all of that falls within the scope of our decisions and our judgment and our manner. And so we go to God about this duty. And we ask God, knowing... That he gives generously and without reproach, and we trust him to help us. So, when I talk to someone about matters pertaining to God and their salvation, I'm fulfilling a duty, but I want to do that in the best possible way. I want to use the right words. I want to come across in the best way. I don't want to ruin an opportunity with a misspoken word, or with an attitude that defeats my purpose. So before I have this conversation with an atheist, I'm going to spend some time in prayer, asking God for wisdom. Something else I'm going to do, I'm going to listen to the atheist. You're going to do what? Yes. I'm going to listen to the atheist. I am, and I'm going to do that in the spirit of James 1:19. Be quick to hear. Before I respond, I want to know the unbeliever's story. That will help me craft my response. How did you become an atheist? What is the basis of your non-belief? Have you examined the evidence? What has your conclusion been thus far in the examination of that evidence? See, the more I listen, the better prepared I am to know where to start. Instead of assuming that I know everything I need to know about this situation, I need to know about the unbeliever. I need to spend a little time listening to the unbeliever, listening to in addition to informing my response, demonstrates that I care. Listening shows that you care and it equips you to know where you need to start. I think a typical mistake in religious discourse is to walk into a controversy fully loaded and you just start firing your arguments at an opponent uninterrupted. The danger of that is you may fire the wrong argument, you may cloud the real issues or clutter up the conversation. So, listen to the non believer, let them tell their story, let them make their case, do that patiently, and then, having asked for God's wisdom, you're ready to give a good response number three make certain that you show genuine interest in the person James 2 in verse 8 says the royal law is to love your neighbor as yourself mark this down somewhere hate is never a good argument hate is never a good argument. So much discourse and debate these days is driven by hate. You hate someone. And based on that hatred, you deny everything they say and do. You contradict everything they say. You call them names. You try to take down your opponent because you can't stand them. You justify the use of any kind of argument, any weapon, any approach, and any attitude because you hate the person. Folks, that's juvenile. That's juvenile. There are no debates, no discussions, and no disagreements where hate is the solution. I'll repeat that. There are no debates no discussions and no disagreements where hate is the solution. I understand, yes, we hate sin. But if that hatred for the sin becomes a violent, immature hostility in a discussion or on social media posts towards someone, nobody's going to win. The good... God wants to see does not emerge through our hatred. Hate is never a good argument or the basis for a good argument against a person. People will listen to you if they perceive that you have genuine interest in them. Not a pretended interest, a real authentic interest. An atheist is not just an atheist. An atheist is a lost soul. A sinner who needs Christ. Someone who needs to hear the gospel, be convinced, and be obedient. Make certain you have a genuine interest in the soul of the person you're having the discussion with, and let that be apparent. Show your faith by your works, not just your words. James 2 and verse 18. Faith is discussing the activity, or James I should say, is discussing the activity of obedient faith and what it produces. And here's what he says, James two eighteen. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And later in the book of James, in chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You can have a room full of atheists listening to your lectures about the existence of God from nine in the morning till five in the afternoon, you can have a complete session on faith in Christ You can open the book of John and show all the evidence about who Jesus is. You can spend some time demonstrating the integrity of the New Testament. You can make all those arguments and you can make them with the highest level of clarity and eloquence and perhaps some good will be done. But if you're not living what you preach, the value Of your arguments and lectures are drastically reduced. If you're not living what you preach, the value and the impact of your arguments and lectures are drastically reduced. People we talk to need to know that we care, and they need to know that we are committed to the message we're delivering. We are committed to living what we preach about God and about His Son. Atheists may be wrong as they can be about denying God's existence, but most atheists atheists have good hypocrisy radar. By that I mean, if you are not living what you preach, they see it. And what you say loses credibility at that point. Who is wise and understanding among you? James answered, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. What do we need to know and think about before we talk to an atheist? Never hesitate to read the word of God. Or ask people to read the word of God even if you're talking to an atheist. I hope each one of us understand perfectly that God is a better speaker and writer than we will ever be. God is a better speaker and writer than we will ever be. His words are more powerful than mine. God is the perfect communicator. Do you know how many Bibles we have given away from this place? There are people in this audience who have been a part of Laurel Heights over many years who buy Bibles and give them to people, being convinced that if people are saved from sin at all, it will be because they heard, believed, and obeyed the Word of God. The Word that James says in James 1.18 brings the sinner out of sin. The word that James says in James 1 is the perfect law of liberty. So, as I carry on a conversation with my atheist friend, there may be some key passages I'm going to read. Turn to Romans 1, and then after that, I'm going to be in the book of Hebrews in chapter 3. I understand the atheist doesn't believe the bible is the word of god they're not convinced that there is a god or that you're a child of god or that this was written by god but you now have an opportunity to talk to them and reach them why not use passages that state arguments in the best possible way romans 1 19 and 20 Why not, in making those arguments, use the words that God gave? Paul's claim is there is sufficient evidence of God's existence and power all around us in the things that have been made. If you're going to state that argument, that argument, by the way, is called an argument from design back to designer. If you're going to state that argument, why not use the words God gave that express that argument? The world around us is preaching, shouting, telling everybody, God made this. You go out to the mountains, over to the coastlands and look at the ocean. You look around at the animal kingdom and the universe in general, God is. Design recommends to us the superior designer. God is, and we are living in contact with what he made. In fact, you are and I am what he made. Do an objective survey of nature, the solar system, the human body. These are the arguments you're going to make when you're talking to an atheist. Why not use the words that God gave that contain those arguments? There comes a time in our efforts to reach unbelievers that we need to read this and press the point of design and behind design... There is the designer. Hebrews 3 and verse 4. Hebrews 3 and verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. If you're going to state the argument from design, why not use the words God gave in Hebrews 3 and verse 4? Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And I would make the point with my atheist friend, houses do not just appear. You drive by an empty lot one day and the next day you drive by and there's a house. It is such a simple point. Houses do not just appear, they are designed, materials are acquired, the ground is prepared, builders and contractors and workers come in and they assemble the material. It can be seen and known that the builder of all things is God. And it says in Hebrews 11 and verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of things of what was visible so you're reading scripture to the atheist but you're using words that contain the very arguments that you'll need to press you're making an appeal to the mind based on evidence I'm not going to conduct a whole Bible class like I do on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights with an atheist. I just want my atheist friends to hear these arguments stated perfectly in Scripture. Their responses may lead to further discussion. They may, on the other hand, dismiss the statements. But your job and my job, give them the arguments. Give them the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Number six, don't insult, demean, or attack. I alluded to this earlier. With digital media and social media, it is so quick and easy to just call somebody a name, run somebody down, attack the person, draw a funny picture of them. This conduct is juvenile. It doesn't become a Christian who, according to Ephesians 4.15, is to speak the truth in love. Here's what James said in James 3.16. He said, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Back in James three fourteen, he said, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false against the truth. And then over in James 1, in verse 20, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, at this point, somebody might say, Well, the Bible says the atheist is a fool. Back in Psalms. That's right. Do you want to start there? Come on in, you fool. Have a seat in my living room, you foolish, unbelieving heathen. How's that going to go? What you say must be accompanied by how you say it, and how you say it must incorporate all the qualities we say Christians ought to have. Humility, kindness, self-control... Remember, you've prayed to God for wisdom. Seven things you need to know before talking to an atheist. Number seven, always, always tell the story of Jesus. James said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. James said, in James 2 and verse 1, we are people who hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we started the conversation, our faith in Christ. If we hold that faith, we are certainly motivated to share that faith. And in sharing that faith, we will tell the story of Jesus, won't we? We will say to the atheist friend, would you be willing to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And let the Word of God convict and turn the atheist from his unbelief by that reading. I remind you, God expects effort. The results must come from the one you're talking to. But what God expects of us is effort. I'm going to tell you a story to conclude. Years ago, this is a story written by a gospel preacher. He said, years ago, a brother in Christ introduced me to an atheist. After mentioning to him the vast and compelling evidence for Christianity, I asked if he'd be willing to walk through that evidence together. He expressed interest, though at the time I suspected it was mostly out of curiosity. However, I was determined to plant the seed and let God take care of the rest. And we met once a week for what I believed would be about a 12-week study. We covered the existence of God, intelligent design, the moral law, the evidence for the reliability and inspiration of Scripture and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. During our studies, he was a difficult man to read. While he made comments and asked questions, it was hard to gauge how much of the evidence he actually was taking in. At week number 10, we hit a turning point we began studying the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, which I believe to be the second greatest evidence of Christianity next to the resurrection of Christ. About halfway through this study, the atheist broke down and started to weep. And I was taken aback. I had not seen this kind of emotion from him in any of our prior sessions. Once he collected himself, he confessed to me that the real reason he was an atheist was because he had done so many terrible things in his life, he didn't think God would ever save him. He simply found it easier to spend half his life denying his existence. But once he saw that God was willing to do with a sinner of sinners like Saul of Tarsus, what he did. He was convinced. And we baptized him that evening. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. I'm continuing to quote from what the preacher wrote. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance... "...that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all," Paul said. "...yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life." The prospect of studying with atheists can be frightening for many Christians... However all of us are living in a sin ravaged world carrying the wounds and hurts that come with it victims of satan's devices and every one of us attempt to placate the empty void within us by the wrong means for some atheists it is resentment brought on by the hypocritical behavior of a believer For others, it is a gnawing guilt over past sins. Others are deceived by the vanities of the world. Some have simply never seen the evidence. But when the storms of discouragement overwhelm the heart of an unbeliever, those rushing waves can be broken on the rocks of patient, enduring Christian love. May we never underestimate the power of the cross to soften the most unbelieving of unbelievers." One more thing. Debate has its limitations. You can win a debate but not win the lost to Christ. You cannot fuss or argue someone out of sin into the kingdom. So when it seems like you have won the debate, The arguments are on your side. The points are on your side of the score. Don't quit and claim victory. Try to create a climate and relationship where you can speak to that person in the future about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The gospel is very simple. Sin is our problem. Jesus is the solution. He died and went to heaven so that we can die to sin and be obedient to Him. If you're here today and you're ready to obey the gospel of Christ, we plead with you not to hesitate, but to come now as we stand together to sing.